I invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, with me to the book of Malachi, uh, the last book of the Old Testament, written around 430 BC by the prophet known as the messenger of God, Malachi. And as already has been acknowledged today, uh, today is Remembrance Day or Armistice Day. And Armistice, as Matt said, is, is a truce, an agreement to stop fighting. So today, 100 years on, at 11am, we will pause for a minute's silence. If you wish to stand during that minute's silence, you are more than welcome to. If you're wanting to remain seated, that's okay as well. But uh, it's an opportunity for you to join with me as we pause to remember, and also importantly, to pray for peace. But when we think about Armistice Day and war and those sorts of things, often associated with that is the whole thing of protesting. And I wonder, have you ever been involved in a protest? If so, I'd love to hear from you in just a moment's time, just about what the protest was, if you're happy to share that. But in May of 1900, Melbourne's liberal Protestantism made Melbourne the centre of the Australian peace movement throughout the 20th century. Australia's first peace peace organisation, the Melbourne Peace and Humanity Society, was formed in May 1900 by Dr Strong, by Reverend Retnol and by H.B. Higgins. And then soon after the outbreak of the First World War, Melbourne's pacifists formed the Australian Peace Alliance, which provided the organisational base for its affiliated societies and their opposition to the censorship of peace literature and anti-war, their anti-war work. The Alliance brought together a small number of radical liberals, ministers of religion, interesting ministers of religion being camp, uh, put in the same camp or group as, uh, as uh, radical liberals, free thinkers and Quakers and the Peace Society and some members of the recently disbanded AFL. While countries like Britain, New Zealand and the US in conscription, successful campaigning and protesting against con- in Australia meant that on two occasions it was voted on in October in 1916 and in December in 1917 and on both those occasions because of the protesting and the anti-encryption effort the votes were lost. People protest for a range of reasons and in a variety of ways. While some are violent, others are passive. While some protest for something, others protest against something. We want this to happen or we don't want this to happen. And I wonder how many of us have been involved in protesting. Perhaps a march, perhaps a sit-in or even a sit-down. So I'm going to grab the microphone and if you've been involved in a protest at some stage, um, be interested in hearing from you about what the, the reason for the protest was. So just pop up your hand. Yep. Roger? Thanks, David. Well, when I was a a young uni student, I marched against the Vietnam War. Okay. But in the mid-90s, Rhonda was a kinder assistant and David was, I think, just starting kinder. And Jeff Kennett cut the funding to kinders, uh, which really 
affected the kinders. So Rhonda, myself, David and Rebecca, we all marched against those cuts. Wow, good on you. Okay. Others that have been involved in a protest or a march of some form? Robert? Okay. Rightio. So during um, jail, uh, a protest to say, hey, listen, we, we want better food for the people that are here. Yep. Yep. Great. Um, others? Victor? Now you watch someone on this side will ask me to come over that side. and This is my fitness regime. Yep. Now, when I was young, the government declared that we get arrested if uh, okay. and then uh, even before a lot of people <laughs> yeah okay so there was a um, victor was involved in a protest where the government was taking land off landholders that were using it for farming and declared it a national park without you know involving them in that and so victor involved in a protest support that right down the back well i was close instead of being on that side it's right down the back instead when i was doing my teacher training the union went on strike, but they were only striking against the students at the university I was at. And so we protested. We went and sat in Swanson Street and held up traffic um, because we thought it was unfair that they were only targeting one. Okay. One more. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. It was um, Tim Cotillo. Lots of people in the city, and I can't really remember. It was a long time ago. I don't remember if it was about refugees. Yep. Okay, but you're a part of that. Great. Well, we've got a lot of radicals here, haven't we? Woo-wee. Maybe we should uh, start a bit of a protest movement. No. Uh, but it's interesting why people get involved in some form of protest and, and what's near and dear to them, whether it affects them personally or whether it affects people that they care about. But have you ever thought about people who protest against God, perhaps protesting by turning our back on Him and what He's been saying to us. And if we do, if we protest against God, how do you think God, what do you think it means for our relationship with God, the Lord of Heaven's armies? Well, in Malachi's day, that's exactly what the people were doing. It was, it was as if um, they pled ignorance as their excuse for protesting against God. So let's briefly look at the first of the attitudes of their hearts and then the effect on their lives and their relationship with God. So in Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, and then we'll move back to Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. Malachi 3, 13 to 15 says this. If you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to look at Malachi 3, 13 to 15. You have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? You have said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins? From now on, we will call the arrogant blessed. For those who do evil get rich. And those who dare God to punish them suffer no harm. Now, while last week the people complained that God um, seemed to lack a sense of justice, this week we discovered that God, uh, the people complained that there was no benefit in being repentant and serving God. Look around, they cry. Look around and see for yourselves. There's no benefit in saying sorry for our sins. 
What's the benefit? Those who are arrogant are blessed, and those who do evil get rich, and those who dare to God, smite me God, get away with it, and God does nothing. Look around, they're not getting struck by lightning, and once again, God speaks calmly, but with authority and with laser focus. Let's read from Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we've never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? Now, before I, I, I want to reread this section again, but before I do, let's take a moment to look at the wordplay that's taking place and the comparisons that God plats together to build a case against those complainants. God does not change, God is the one, the only the faithful, reliable, constant in the universe. The nation of Israel can be thankful for that because of God's covenant faithfulness. The descendants of Jacob have not been. God calls on those who identify themselves as the followers of the Lord of heaven's armies to change, to change back. They had protested against God by turning their backs to God like people who turn their backs on a guest of, return to me, God calls them. Repent, turn back and face me again. Come back to me, change your posture, change your attitude to me. While God does not change, the same cannot be said for Israel. God calls his people to change and to come back. To now, for those that are not familiar with the story of Jacob. It's a good time to remind ourselves of Jacob's bloodline that runs through the veins of the nation. For those who have been with us for a little while, you may recall on the 26th of August, we looked at God's story, our story, and the story of Jacob, who was known as a deceiver or a cheater. Listen, if you haven't listened to it, listen to it on the podcast. But to recap, from the lips of Jacob's own family, as recorded in Genesis 27, verses 35 and 36. We read these words. But Isaac said, your brother, that's um, Isaac is Jacob's father, but Isaac said, your brother was here and he tricked me. He has taken away your blessing. Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob, for now he has tricked cheated me twice. First, he took my rights as a firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessings. So, let's recap that and reassociate that with Malachi chapter 3. God holds a mirror to the descendants of Jacob, the cheater. You have changed your stance, changed from worshippers to become protesters. 
In fact, the only area that you haven't changed is behaving like your ancestor Jacob, the cheater, because you have been and continue to this day to cheat me, to rob from me, to steal. So in light of that history, let's revisit Malachi. I am the Lord your God, I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? You have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offering. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. From the times of Abraham in Genesis 14, God called the descendants of Jacob to return to him in the form of sacrifices, offerings and tithes, gifts to recognise the authority of the the Lordship of Yahweh God, sacrifices to address the issues of sin. And while some of these gifts were consumed in fire as a pleasing aroma to God, some portions were set apart by God for those who served in the temple, the Levites and specifically the priests. In Leviticus chapter 1 through to chapter 7, there's a range of sacrifices discussed from burnt and sin offerings, peace offerings and grain offerings. There was a range of tithes and offerings beyond the sacrifices that were given to God and used by the Levites for looking after the tabernacle and later the temple, but also for their own food. For two out of three years, the tithe went to the Levites and the giver was also celebrated with them in the eating from that offering. Then every third year, the tithe was placed in a storehouse and these provisions were to the benefit of the Levites, but also distributed over those three years, the next three years, to uh, that three-year period, to foreigners, to widows, to orphans. It was their social security to those beyond in general acts of compassion. Now, the interesting thing is that if we read in Psalm 50, verses 12 and 13, God declares, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and everything in it. Do I eat the meat? So Psalm 50 says, it stood out as a reminder that God is not dependent on the gifts and sacrifices and offerings for his existence, but also everything, the homes of the Israelites that they lived in, the crops that they harvested from, the stock that they looked after, and even the clothes on their very back, their lives and the lives of their families all to God. The world is mine and everything in it. So if the world is mine and everything in it, then why bring God an offering? Well, God called his people to bring tithes and offerings too, and he chose the way that they should be distributed. And it was as if the giver placed the gift in the hands of God, and God distributed as he chose. And God chose to distribute those offerings, those tithes to the Levites who served in the temple and to the needy. And with certain gifts, the giver also benefited. The tithe was to compensate the Levites. 
they, by and large, gave up their share of mainstream work so that they could serve in the temple. And so this was the way that God chose to compensate them. We're going to pause for a moment now, a moment of a minute's silence, um, to take some time to remember once again that it was Armistice Day today and that a hundred years the guns. So let's take a moment to pause. So in light of all that Malachi is talking about in speech, let's draw together both the, what we've been looking at in Malachi chapter 3 to the first two chapters and part of chapter 3 that we've already been looking at. God's, pulling, uh, God's people are pulling back from their offerings and sacrifices and tithes to God. This has had a direct impact on the priests and the Levites, those that serve God in the temple. And because the priests are more concerned about the whims of the people than about what God wants, we read in Malachi chapter 2 that God calls them to be... As the old saying goes, beggars can't be chewed. So when there's a lack of tithes and offerings coming to the temple, the priests are desperate. And the standard that God set in choosing what is acceptable and what is second rate, that starts to slide. And no matter how dodgy the offerings are, the priests and the Levites say, it'll do. But God calls the priests not to cave in, but instead the priests are to live as role models. The call is then for the people to God their best. As a result of the nation's behaviour, the cheating, the stealing, and um, taking away from what was rightfully God's. So God called them to be faithful to their covenant relationship. Because if they don't, it would have a knock-on effect to those around them, including those that were set apart to serve in the temple. And so, when times are tough, rather than remaining committed to care for those on the margins, we tend to circle the wagons and look after our own interests rather than the interests of those around us. And so God challenged them to think differently and out goes the call to be just. So let's return once again to the messenger of the prophet the message of the prophet Malachi in Malachi chapter 3 verse 8 and we see the call, the call to be generous. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? How do we ever cheat you? You've cheated me out of the tithes and offerings. You're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheated. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be food in my temple. If you says the Lord of heaven's armies. I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall to the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. They will... um, They are all... Sorry says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord. Stop protesting against God. Return to me. Stop cheating me. Change your behavior. Just because times are tough is no justifications to start pulling back. Bring to the temple your tithe, your 10%, in addition to your offering. Your land is cursed because of your behavior. Step out in faith. Step out in trust. Trust the Lord of heaven's armies and bring in what I've asked for. 
so that I can compensate the priests, the Levites, those who are those who are marginalised, those who are vulnerable and need support. Stop circling the wagons and protecting your own interests. Think beyond yourselves to the interests of the nation which is suffering. Start being generous again and I will shower you with my generosity and others will see. You know, there is something exciting when people who have been busy protesting against God respond to the challenge and, and the challenge and the call to be generous. So what about today? And what about us? Are you busy protesting against God? Are you busy um, when things and times are just lean? When there's not enough for me to be generous and times are tough? God, when you start blessing me, with more, I'll think about giving. Are we cheating and stealing what is appropriately and rightfully God? The call of Malachi is God's call to be generous. So let's for a moment pull the pieces of this together with some principles surrounding God's call you and me to be generous. The first is a foundational principle that's from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 26 where Paul reminds Christians then and now today, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. There is a difference between ownership and stewardship. What you and I have is not owned by everything is God's and we are stewards of what belongs to God. The second principle is based on 2 Corinthians 8 verse 5. For the first action was to give of themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. Give yourself to God and His will for your life. There is no conflict in giving financially to God when you have already given yourself wholeheartedly to God. The third principle is based on 2 Corinthians 8. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. Give generously, sacrificially, of your own. And the fourth is based on 2 Corinthians 8, 10 to 13. And that is to give responsibly. And finally, God promised a blessing when His people also give In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 11, it says this, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who... And God will generously provide all you... Then you will also have everything you need and plenty left over to share. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously. To their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those in need, they will thank God. 
know, there's so much more that we can say about this and, and the use of God's resources and we'll probably take some time next year to have a look at that a little bit. As in so many areas of life as a disciple of Jesus, returning to God his tithes and offerings really does come down to a matter of choice. Not, it's not Jesus plus a tithe that brings salvation. It's not Jesus and what you put in the offering plate each week or what you, you have an electronic transfer that comes into the accounts or whatever. It's not Jesus and those things. It's not even Jesus and baptism. It's not even Jesus and service. It is only Jesus, only Jesus. But how do we respond? And out of a desire to reflect that God. But if you're looking for a lower model of giving in the New Testament, God calls each of us to regularly return back to Him a portion of what we are stewards of, our giving to God who wants to compensate those who are called out of employment locally and to care for those that are vulnerable and to meet the needs of the, um, the, the ministries that we're involved. May we be people who respond to God's call to be a blessing to others and to bring glory. We're going to take some time to respond and um, what we're going to do is as a result of the, the response time, I'm just going to quickly read through those few things again as far as points from uh, the 2 Corinthians passage. And I'd encourage you just to, to reflect on those and to say, okay, God, what are you saying to me? The first and foundational principle is everything is God's and we are stewards of what belongs to God. Everything's God's and we're stewards. To give yourself to God, to give generously and sacrificial of your own free will to give responsibly and that God will bless when we give. So what's God saying? We're going to have some time. I'm not sure whether there's going to be some music played. We'll have a look at that in just a moment. But I encourage you just to take some time to fill out those responses. And this is how I want to pray. God bless.